Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello and welcome back to the Action Network podcast, the golf edition. I am your host, Peter Jennings, and as always, joined by Jason Sobel. We're coming off a week where we had two PGA events. We had the WGC Mexico Championship as well as the Puerto Rico Open. Patrick Reed won, which was not the guy I was hoping to win, but uh, it was you and a lot of other people. That was fun to watch, and uh, Victor Hovland got the win in exciting fashion at the Puerto Rico Open, which was a lot of fun to sweat. And for the avid golf fans, it was a great tournament. And uh, yeah, it should be a fun week. Jason, you are at the Honda Classic. You are going to be at all the events on the Florida Swing. It's your backyard. How are you doing? Uh, what have you picked up on from being at the event? I, well, first of all, Peter, I, I am great. I am looking forward to this time of year, as always. I call it the laundry basket swing uh, because I will not touch a suitcase for a month while I cover four straight events on the PGA Tour, which uh, to me is awesome. And I don't care. I, I checked into PGA National. Uh, we were talking on Tuesday night, and this is just a couple hours ago that I checked into the hotel, and they had the pairings party for the Pro-Am. There are a lot of uh, well-dressed folks drinking very expensive drinks in the lobby, uh, doing their kind of thing, whatever uh, well-dressed people drinking expensive drinks do. Hopefully they'll let me in on that at some point. And I come through, walking through, checking in with my laundry basket, and I don't give a you-know-what. I don't care because I think it's awesome just uh, not having to bring a suitcase in, and I just, uh, I'm just doing my thing. So I hung out in the lobby for a little bit. Um, if you haven't been to the Honda Classic before, the best way I can put it is it's just like Phoenix if everybody was much richer and 40 years older. That's the name of the game. That's it. That I sounds mean, it's like just, a pretty good life. It, it's like if everyone, everyone who went to Phoenix 40 years ago grew up and got a really good job and decided to come play in the Pro-Am at PGA National for the Honda Classic and just wanted to hang out and drink and watch golf all week. That's it. Hashtag how rich. Uh, pretty awesome. Uh, it's going to be a, a really nice uh, stretch of golf here. we got the players coming up. Uh, we're definitely in the full golf swing and Man, it's got to be a pretty nice life going around to all these events. And special shout out to the DFS Open, which is happening this weekend close by. Uh, I know a lot of DFS players and some of our listeners are going to be competing in that. Uh, give the folks some details on the DFS Open. Yeah, this is going to be cool. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I I don't know a lot of the guys who are playing it. I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of the guys. These are guys who uh, uh, I'm sure I've interacted with on Twitter and probably don't like me already. but uh, no, this is going to be really fun. We've got 92 uh, DFS players, 92 of probably the biggest golf DFS players in the country who are uh, flying in from all over the place to play in a, a scramble this weekend. We're all getting together for a little party on Friday night and then playing a big scramble on Saturday. And uh, Check it out on Twitter. It's all over Twitter now. If you follow anybody who's, uh, who, who's into DFS golf, you can find uh, – where it is on Twitter, but uh, you can actually play DFS based on the scramble teams for Saturday's DFS open. I mean, you can take us. So my team is the third highest salaried team. I have no idea what that's based on. I was told there's a little 
recent form. I shot 73 a few days ago, which is oh, decent. Uh, and there's some course history. I'm playing with, uh, uh, with Joe who's running the events. So Joe knows the course pretty well. Uh, I believe it's a 5,900 yard course. So there's uh there's going to be some birdies and Eagles to be made out there. I got a buddy of mine, Jason Shannon coming. Who's uh, I won't call him a ringer, but he, uh, he hits it pretty good too. So uh, like our chances, but yeah, it should be a really fun event. I don't know a lot of the guys other than just seeing their names on Twitter, seeing their names on DFS leaderboards all the time. So looking forward to getting to know everybody and uh, Action Network is sponsoring a hole and uh, giving out some prizes. So I, I think it's going to be a really, really fun weekend. Yeah, sounds great. Wish I could be out there. I, I am golfed out and unfortunately I have a bunch going on, but it should be a lot of fun. You want to play uh, the Tiger these days. Come on, admit yeah, it. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm still shaking off uh, some <laughs> bad golf. But I'm ready to get back out there at some point here soon. Uh, I wish I could be out there. The schedule just didn't fall that way. But uh, real quick, Jason, before we dive into PGA National and the Honda Classic, a couple of takeaways for me that I think uh, could provide some value going forward. Uh, one, Victor Hovland is a total stud. I have some stats on him for the PGA National. Thrilled to see Morikawa Wolf and Hovland all now with PGA Pro wins. Those guys are going to be a staple of the tour for a long time, and uh, it's great to see him when he seems just like a great kid and is a deserving winner. Uh, one of the best golfers has, you know, one of the best amateur track records of any of the guys on tour. So congrats to Victor. And then with the Mexico Championship, I thought there were a couple of key takeaways. Still a big believer in Rory. I think he's by far the best player in the world. Didn't have his best stuff. Still was right there uh, on Sunday. And uh, I think he's, you know, positioned to win potentially multiple majors this year, at least have a couple of really nice showings and big events. And then Hideki Matsuyama is the one guy that I think has the strongest signal from last week. Uh, obviously didn't score as well, but was number one in proximity to the hole, putted awful. And I think if Matsuyama can get his putting going just a little bit, I like his new swing. He's not doing the huge pause. Uh, so that's one thing I'm looking to capitalize on. Looking at some Matsuyama futures potentially, and I definitely want exposure to him uh, in the events that he's playing coming up. So uh, what are your thoughts on the, the events last week? And then we'll dive into the Honda. That's the story of his life. I mean, if Hideki Matsuyama could putt, he'd be Brooks Krepka if he could only putt. So, yes, uh, if he could just putt average, uh, he would be really good. So I, I agree with you, Hideki's getting there, but not quite there yet. Biggest takeaway from Mexico last week is that and we've said this before, and we've talked about it ad nauseum, and I thought we were probably done with it for a little bit, but we're not. Patrick Reed is the most polarizing player in golf, and it's not close. If you want to go out there and hate him, and if you want to call him a cheater, and if you want to say, I root against Patrick Reed with everything in me, that's fine. Right, look, you're entitled to that as a fan, and you're not alone. All I can tell you is that the more collectively people root against Patrick Reed, the better he plays. And I don't understand it. I, I do not understand that makeup. 95%, maybe more, 98% of the players on tour, if they had the majority of fans rooting, actively rooting against them, it would not work in their favor. And yet Patrick Reed, the more people don't like him, I'll say the, the hate word, the more people hate Patrick Reed, the better he plays. So you guys just keep it coming. You guys that don't want Patrick Reed to succeed for the rest of the year, Start writing him love notes on Twitter. Start saying how much, oh, man, Patrick, what a great player he is. Because the more you say, ah, that guy's a cheater. That guy's the worst. Man, I, I hope that guy never wins anything. The more you say that, the more he responds with making clutch putts down the stretch whenever he needs to. 
I get all of the criticisms and they are, they are well-founded criticisms. That said, he is clutch, man. He is a closer. That's now eight wins in the last eight years, eight calendar years, a major two WGCs. The guy is really, really good. And he's really good with his back against the wall and everybody rooting against him. The one other thing you mentioned Hovland, great win for Hovland. So cool to see him, Morikawa and Wolf all on the board now with victories. I said it last year, and I actually said it after Colin Morikawa won that I would take Hovland long-term out of all three of those guys. I will stick with it, even though, man, I like Colin Morikawa's game. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not very confident in it because I think Morikawa is really, really good. Uh, but I will stick with Hovland long-term just because I said it last year. Really cool to see him on the board with one now. Absolutely. And, and Patrick Reed, to, to echo what you said, I mean, what a ridiculous finish. And he is the opposite of Matsuyama. He is fourth so far this year in strokes game putting. He's a great putter. He's a great scrambler. Uh, you can see it. I mean, he is easily one of the best, you know, around the greens and on the greens. And, you know, when he's hitting the ball well, he is uh, very, very tough because he has been, quote, unquote, clutch uh, for a long time now. So, yeah, shout out to Patrick Reed. Uh, I know he's a polarizing character, but got to give him respect. Uh, yeah, to your point of Matsuyama, he's 179th this year in strokes game putting. Yeah, that is really, really bad. A couple other big names that I was going to point out uh, that are relevant. A couple of them this week. Uh, a couple of them going forward. I think you could possibly see some positive regression. Some of these guys aren't great putters. Colin Morikawa is looking like a pretty bad putter so far, but he's young. We'll see if he can re- turn that around. He's 169th so far in strokes game putting. Xander's right next to him at 170th. Uh, I think both those guys, he see, yeah. he, those guys will see some positive regression. And you have your normal names, Keegan's 203rd, Kokrak's 201st. And then the one guy that we're going to talk about for this week that I like a lot is Byung-Hun Ahn, who is yeah. a really, really bad putter. He's struggling, and he's still able to put up some good rounds. Currently 208th on the PGA Tour in strokes game putting. There's only 233 guys that are, are you know, fit the, fit the rule. Tiger Woods, 228th, by the way. How about that? Yeah. Not many events, only 12 rounds, but Tiger really struggled at Riviera, which brought him down. So I'm looking for regression in putting normally, and some of these guys are consistently bad putters, so you kind of have to weed that out, but that is one area where you can generally gain some alpha in the markets is banking on regression. So with the Honda Classic, it's at PGA National, water everywhere. Uh, People can make big numbers all over the place. Brutal tournament in some regards to sweat just because some of your guys can look like they're in great shape and then just blow up. What are your thoughts on the course and what type of golfers are you looking for? So, uh, well, it's a pretty good segue into what I wanted to talk about here, because if you're ever going to pick an event where putting might not matter as much because uh, it's a ball strikers golf course and you've got to keep it out of the hazards and you've got to uh, it, at least flight your ball. It's going to be a two club wind as it usually is here at PJ national. So um, you're looking at ball strikers and, and you're not necessarily looking at the best putters and, You've got guys, you mentioned Byung-Hung An, who is uh, a very good ball striker and a very bad putter. Emiliano Grillo uh, is a very good ball striker and an incredibly bad putter. Corey Connors is a very good ball striker and a not great putter. Those are the kind of guys you might be looking at this week. Uh, on a regular week where everybody hits the green. This, this is how I tried to explain it to someone the other day. I said, on a regular week, or, or just take a week when, let's say everybody hits the green regulation every single time. Let's say everybody's going to hit 72 greens in a reg. Well, you don't want to take those guys who are bad putters because quite frankly, they're not going to make as many as everybody else's on a week when there's a lower percentage of greens and reg. 
give me those guys who are worse butters because it's going to level the playing field on the greens a little bit. So uh, those are our three guys right off the top that come to mind where if you want to talk about bad putters in this week's field, but really good ball strikers on Grio and Corey Connors are the three right there, right off the top that I go, uh, if there's ever a course fit for those guys, it's this week at the Honda where you can see single digits under par winning this golf tournament. If the wind blows the way it has in the past, and the way it's forecast to this week. Right. And Grio, I mean, Grio's 226. And again, these are 2020 stats. So you can look at farther samples, but Grio has been very unlucky with the putter. And I think he's a really, really that, good player. That ain't luck, bro. I mean, I, I, I know <laughs> he's a bad putter. year after year after year. I, I know he's a bad luck. Yeah, I know he's a bad putter, but he's not, he's not like dead last every single year. Um, so he's fourth it, it, from last last year. He, he, he is a bad putter. Um, so yeah. to be fair, he was fourth from last year. That is true. Um, but I still think on, you know, Keegan Grio might be guys that you won't, don't want to bank on as much on regression, but, uh, I do look for guys who have putted poorly and that being the, the main reason they haven't had good results so far, but you have to certainly, you know, consider some other, other factors as well. Yeah, um, this is the week. If you're looking at those guys and you say, Hey, I, I want a guy who's a ball striker. There's a reason why those guys are world-class players, even though they're really bad putters. And, and the reason is because they're really good ball strikers. And, and in order to be ranked where you are in the world, uh, on's a top 50 player. Grillo's probably just outside the top 50. I don't have it in front of me right now. Connor's probably somewhere close to that. I'm guessing if I had to uh, off the top of my head, but uh, fact of the matter, they're all pretty good players. And, if you're not a good putter in order to be ranked that highly, you better be striking it really well. And those guys do it. And that's, what's going to help you this week. Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely a ball strikers uh, paradise here and they should have a big edge. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, putting is just not going to matter as much relatively given the way the course is set up and uh, people aren't going to hit as many greens. So looking at the favorites, Tommy Fleetwood comes in as a favorite over Brooks Kepka. Who's the second favorite? Then Ricky Fowler, Gary Woodland, Billy Horschel, Justin Rose is surprisingly kind of in that, you know, four to six range, depending on what book you look at. Uh, you have Victor Hovland coming in, steaming as well. Louis Oosthuizen, Sung J M, Daniel Berger, Byung-Hun An, Shane Lowry, uh, and then a, a decent drop off to like Eric Van Ruyen, who uh, played great last week. Out of the top guys, Jason, do you find any value potentially in some matchup bets, some outrights even, uh, or in DFS? Who, who are you liking kind of out of this top tier? Okay, so of the very top guys, um, yeah, if we're looking basically at Fleetwood, Fowler, and Kepka and having to make a decision, let's say, all right, I want a guy to start my DFS lineup. I want a guy that, you know, I'm betting on a favorite. I'm looking at matchups. Fleetwood's the guy that stands out to me. Uh, you know, Tommy Fleetwood's the guy that, has played this golf course once. It was two years ago, finished in fourth place. I just feel like this course is made for Tommy Fleetwood. You got to flight the ball. You got to keep it under the wind. Uh, it's everything that he does really well. He has to drive it well. He does that on a regular basis. Uh, Ricky has played well here in the past, but he's going through some swing changes. I kind of liked Ricky at the beginning of the week, and as the week has progressed, uh, I'm uh, souring just a little bit on Ricky Fowler. Kepka, you just don't know what to expect from Kepka on a weekly basis. I mean, if he's motivated and feels like it, sure, you can go out here and win by four shots this week. If he's not really feeling it and, you know, kind of has some other weekend plans, he might be slamming the trunk on Friday, 
driving 20 minutes back to his house uh, and enjoy the weekend away from the golf. So uh, I, I, I can't say that I love Kepka very much either, but Fleetwood's the guy for me out of at least those top guys uh, that I would go after. If you're saying, Hey, I want to build a DFS lineup and I at least want one of these top guys, but uh, I think it's a great week and we're going to build a, a lineup here in a little bit. I think it's a great week to leave some money on the table and to go with some guys who are a little bit lower priced. And I feel the same way with betting. Uh, if you want to take a chance on a couple of guys for top fives, top tens this week, go after it because uh, I think that's how you're going to make some money this week. Okay. Well, I'm excited to pick your brain on that. Give a couple of thoughts on the high end. I will absolutely echo the uh, you know sentiment and, and love for Fleetwood this week. I mean, talk about one of the best ball strikers who just doesn't get it done putting. That is Fleetwood on a relative scale. He is, uh, he's been right there as the overall top driver of the golf ball. He hits the ball as straight as anyone. He loves to flight the ball and the betting markets absolutely love him. He's a minus 130 favorite in a couple places versus Brooks Kepka. He's a favorite versus literally everyone. Obviously, he's the outright favorite, but we're talking, you know, big numbers. Uh, minus 145 versus Horschel, who I actually love this week. A uh, lot Horschel. of people are on Horschel, yes. Horschel, a favorite over Victor Hovland, minus 130. So, Looking at the matchups, uh, you know, there's a lot of respect being given to Fleetwood, and I think it makes a ton of sense. It's a great course for him. You know, he's minus 135, minus 140 favorite versus Fowler. Um, I just think he is clearly uh, the, you know, top of this field just because of the course spin and, and his current form. And you never know with Brooks. And, and I, I, you know, just want to see Ricky kind of get more comfortable with the swing change before I'm investing heavily in him. Um, the other names that I, I do think, is worth mentioning, um, and I'm curious. I think he might he might be pretty chalky coming off a win. And in general, normally players are not chalky coming off the win. But Victor Hovland uh, is another guy I'm going to want exposure to. And I think a lot of these holes uh, might end up having like 150-yard approaches, and Victor Hovland is number one in strokes gained in that range. Uh, so I like him quite a bit this week as well. What do you think Hovland's ownership is going to be? Do you think people are going to flock to him after the win? Or is it going to be a similar situation that we've seen in the past where a lot of DFS guys actually go away from the, the previous week's winner? I am not great at predicting ownership. You're much better at doing that than I am. I, I do think there will be some uh, some people on Hovland just based on the fact that uh, he's coming off a win. He's, he's a fun guy to root for. He's a young yeah. guy. He's got a big smile. I think that uh, you look at him and you say, man, I want to be on that guy. I want to be on that guy when he's playing well because he's fun to root for. That said, uh, matchup bet. I've got Daniel Berger minus 105 over Victor Hovland already locked in. I, I love Berger this week. Yeah. Uh, as I wrote in my preview, this is just this is a little microcosm. Uh, take it for what it is. But I wrote the story. I, I told the story a couple of years ago uh, when I was still with ESPN. I wrote a big profile on Berger. But when he was 13 years old, his father, Jay, who was uh, he, he was a very good tennis player. I mean, he was seventh ranked in the world at his best uh, playing tennis, but he wasn't a big golfer. And so he brought his kid who's 13 years old to the pro shop at the Die Preserve and said, you know, can you help him? He wants to be a golfer. And so the assistant pro at the time, Matt Doyle, who had been a touring professional for a little bit, uh, brought him out to the range, hit balls for a few minutes. And Doyle looked at him and said, all right, hey, you want to go play 18 holes? Daniel Berger at 13 years old said, what are we playing for? This guy's, you know, 29 years old at the time or whatever he was, an assistant pro, looks at the 13-year-old and says, whatever you want, man. Said, all right, let's do $20 closeout. The assistant bro said, Are you good with that? 
Berger says, are you good with losing to a 13-year-old? Now, Doyle beat him that day, but Berger broke 70, made an eagle, and he won himself a swing instructor. I, so the kids got moxie, and I use that story this week because Daniel Berger grew up right down the road. He's played this course a million times, and he's going to have a ton of family and friends in the gallery. What that story tells us, even going back to his early teenage years, is that Daniel Berger is a guy who loves to show off. He loves being motivated. He loves being challenged, loves showing off. In his first time ever playing this event, he lost in a playoff to Padraig Harrington. Hasn't quite got quite gotten back to that level. I, I just think Berger is a guy that, um, first of all, he's ready to win. I, I picked him to win in Phoenix a few weeks ago. He finished in ninth that week, came back with a fifth-place finish at Pebble. Hasn't played since then. I just think he's going to treat this like a fifth major for him, and I expect him to play really good golf this week. I love that story. Any any kid who wants to bet on himself, uh, that's perfect. And it is a great setting for him. And Berger's starting to turn around. He battled some injuries uh, throughout his career. Uh, you know, he had a really, really good start to his career. And, you know, he's kind of, I wouldn't say fallen off, but he's just had to deal with these injuries. And, you know, a lot of new young guns have come up and just golf is in such a good place now that I think he's getting a little overlooked and I think he senses that. And this is a really good opportunity where we don't have all the best players in the world. We have a decent field. Um, you know, it's not star studded, but I do think there's a lot of good players in this field. And I think Berger can definitely go out and win. And this is uh, certainly a setting, like you mentioned, grew up close to here. And uh, I think this is a good course for him. And he's showing some pretty good form. Uh, I'm excited about how Berger's playing finished uh, well at the Pro-Am. Uh, Pebble Beach, a fifth place finish there. Ninth at the Waste Management. Uh, played well at the American Express. So some good recent form and uh, a really good article that you did over at the Action Network. Uh, when we start diving below guys like Berger, when we start getting into the more long shots, the cheap guys in DFS, uh, you mentioned that you think there could be some value here. What guys are you eyeing? I'm going to start rattling off names because I've got a bunch of them this week. Uh, start The list starts with Sam Ryder. He was T3 in Puerto Rico last week. I've been on this guy. If you look at the all-around ranking from last year, and if you're not familiar with the all-around, what the all-around is, is it's exactly what it sounds like. They take basically the most important statistics, put them all together, basically come up with a combined ranking for all of them. Sam Ryder was top 20. The other 19 in the top 20 were basically superstars. It was basically all the guys you would think would be in the top 20. It's Rory, it's Rom, it's DJ, it's Brooks, and Sam Ryder was up there. Sam Ryder, basically, what that tells you is he doesn't do anything terribly. And I love the fact that he does everything well. Um, I, I see him very much like Taylor Gooch, which is going to be a weird comparison. But last year on the West Coast swing, Taylor Gooch went out, had a top five finish at, I believe it was Tory, and the next week, or maybe it was the Amex and then Tory. In any case, back-to-back top five finishes sort of out of nowhere and kind of got onto our radar screen. Uh, Ryder was T3 last week. I would not be surprised for another top five finish from him this week. Uh, I'm going to start rattling off names. Bo Hogue is a guy that's got a connection to Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas connection to this event. I, I just feel like Hogue's got a little narrative there. Also played well at the Sony. I think there's a little correlation between the Sony, a tight windblown track, and this one this week. Tom Hoagie, we found that the metrics you want this week are strokes gained approach shots and scrambling because you're going to miss with some of those approach shots. Tom Hoagie has been doing both of those things very well. 
for the last couple of months, even though he doesn't play great in Florida. Hoagie could be good. K.H. Lee is a guy who played really well here last year. I believe he was in the final pairing on Saturday. Didn't quite get it done, but uh, he's a guy that should play well. And then you've got the older guys. Last year, Peter, we had VJ Singh and Jim Furyk, both in the top 10. I don't mind going back to the well on Furyk. I think this could be a good Furyk course. If you want some other 40-something type guys, Brian Gay, Brian Stewart, I think those guys can play well. This is a course where you don't need to be a 23-year-old who hits it 325 in the air to succeed at PGA National. It's going to be guys who uh, kind of plod their way around and make a lot of pars, almost like a U.S. Open type of setup or at least type of difficulty level. And uh, I think some of those guys can play well. So I, I threw a lot of names at you there. You like any of those guys or, or who else do you have? Yeah, Furyk uh, is an interesting one. He is leading the tour in driving accuracy. Not surprising. And, I, and this is just, again, we're looking at 2020 stats. It's still a relatively small sample, but we all know Furyk is about as straight as they come. Uh, you know, he's just always been an accuracy player, right? And, you know, in terms of GIR, he's right there. I mean, I think actually in 2020, he might be first in overall GIR. You know, it, it changes depending uh, you know, what yardage they're coming in from approach. This is a good course for him. You know, Furyk's not going to go out there very often and just light it up and make a bunch of birdies. Now, I know he has that 59, but in general, you know, you're looking at a round of like 15 pars, two birdies, and a bogey. And at this course, I think that sets up pretty darn well. So I, I'm, I'm high on Furyk uh, as a cash game play. Uh, you know, do I think he can win? Probably not, but... I think he's very likely to make the cut, and this is a perfect course for him. So I like that call quite a bit. Uh, Ryder, I think, is a very good call. Uh, I do think he'll catch some ownership uh, in the lower range. You know, Kyle Stanley played well. Uh, he's someone that I'm interested in. He's had some pretty bad form overall, but played well at the Puerto Rico Open as well, and I think uh, he can carry that good form into this event. Keith Mitchell is one guy that I'm tempted by, but I probably won't play. You know, he talked a lot about how he needs to be on Bermuda greens and he loves playing uh, in these type of setups. So that's one that I'm looking at a little bit, but I'm still torn. Bud Colley is another guy that I think I heard is, Bud Colley's uh, name a lot this week. Yeah, Bud Colley might catch ownership as well. So I think there's a lot of guys kind of in this lower tier. Von Taylor, uh, in terms of accuracy, this yep. guy is right there. I mean, in terms of driving accuracy, I think, you know, he'll always be near the top 10 uh, off the tee and certainly can hit a lot of greens. So I like Vaughn Taylor as well. And I think there's a lot of interesting guys that you can kind of go in this range. Um, you know, Corey Connors is one uh, that I think is another guy. He's in a little bit different tier, but I like him quite a bit as well. So there's a lot of different ways you can go. And I think the one nice thing, especially in DFS, is we'll see quite a bit of uh, different combinations just because there are compelling guys kind of in the middle to the bottom part of this field. Uh, do you have a favorite bet this week? So, so first of all, I feel like more so this week than any week we've had so far, there's going to be differentiation this week. You are going to see uh, a lot of guys in the five, six, seven, eight percent owned range where, uh, whereas in other weeks it might be weighted more where, okay, you got your 20 percenters and you got your two percenters and there wasn't much in between. I think you're going to have a lot of different guys. So I mentioned earlier that I've got, I've got Berger over Hovland. That's probably not my favorite. I'm going to give you uh, my two other matchups that I've bet so far. Emiliano Grio, who we've talked about, uh, basically at even money over Ian Poulter. 
not that I hate Poulter here, but I really like Rio. I just think that this should be a good course for him. And Matthew Neesmith, who's uh, uh, played some of his better golf on Bermuda greens. He's plus 105 against Harold Varner the third. We all love Harold, but uh, I just don't know that this is the right course for Varner to succeed here. And Neesmith's been playing some good golf lately. I like it. My favorite bet goes, it sounds like uh, I'm all, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saying two different things here, but hear me out. Uh, you can find this at even money. It's, it's starting to move uh, closer to a, you know, pick them where you're going to play juice on both sides. But I originally found this at even money. Uh, I think there's still a couple books that might have this, but I'm taking Young Hun on over Victor Hovland at even money. And I know I endorsed Victor Hovland. I think he is still a very strong play, but I feel like the range of outcomes for Hovland off the win is pretty wide. Uh, I, I feel like off a win and all the things that come with that, you know, is he more likely to miss the cut? Maybe. And maybe he's more likely, you know, if you look at these guys to, you know, to sustain this great play and be near the top. So I think the range of outcomes is is more wide for Hovland. And I expect Young Hun An to play really well here. So I like that. And even money, I think they're both really, really strong plays. And the line has started to move already, which which tells me that I'm getting some good signal there. So Young Hun An over Victor Hovland is one of my favorite overall bets. And it's interesting. I think the markets are pricing that kind of variability for Hovland as well, because, you know, someone like Billy Horschel is a minus 130 favorite for Hovland. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because it's something that I've been thinking a lot about and just trying to understand kind of the range of outcomes of some of these golfers. Another classic example in this field would be Brooks Kepka, right? Brooks mm-hmm. Kepka sometimes just doesn't care, you know, maybe misses the cut or doesn't play well, or maybe he really cares this week. And he's dialed in and he wins by four. So that would be another guy that I think, you know, if you look at the, the matchups, he's not getting as much love. So I think because of that range of outcomes, do, do you buy that? So yeah, I buy that. So first of all, I'm looking at matchups. I, I am basically looking at guys that are even money or better. I, I just, I, I have trouble. We all know the, uh, sort of the vagaries of, uh, of day to day and week to week golf and, and that anybody can beat anybody at any given time. And so a guy that's minus 130, minus 140, even though you look at him and you say, well, he should beat the other guy. That's why he's favored. I just have a hard time laying the juice for uh, a guy that's uh, such a heavy favorite. Unless I just say, look, I I know something. I know something about the other guy he's playing against where I I just know that he's not going to have a good week and uh, it's easy money there, but it doesn't happen very often. So I'm looking at guys that are, basically even money or close to it or plus money. And so that at least kind of whittles down who you're looking at for the week. And I think that starts to make your decisions a little bit easier. Uh, I mean, it's so easy. You know, we all know, you know, Hey, the public looks through on NBA games every night and they say, well, uh, the Lakers are playing the Knicks. Lakers are good. The Knicks are bad. Lakers should beat them by a lot. I'm taking the Lakers. Sometimes that works. A lot of times that doesn't work. I mean, the odds makers know what they're doing. So uh, I look at it from the same perspective in golf, but you can have those guys who are the underdogs. I mean, you know, we see at the match play every year that just because one guy is ranked higher than another doesn't mean really anything when they're playing against each other, uh, whether they know they're playing against each other or not. Right. No, I think that's really smart in general. You want to be looking for the, the underdogs and matchups. Getting that plus money is huge. There's a lot of variance in golf, especially in a small sample, which one golf tournament is, especially when there's a cut. So I, I agree with that. And to your point, betting favorites, I try not to bet too many. I mean, obviously I'm going to, if there's a big discrepancy and, you know, just looking at uh, different pricing and trying to figure out what my true price is, I'm going to look for discrepancies. But 
in general, that leads to more, uh, you know, taking of, of dogs. But when I'm taking favorites or even big favorites, it's, it's sometimes, you know, I'm just in love with the guy, but more often it's shorting the other player, which I think is a lot of the, the best bets that you can find or when you have conviction about someone playing poorly. So that's another way to look at it. You know, not always just saying, Hey, I love this guy. Think about what players you might be short coming into a week. So, you know, someone who's erratic off the tee, who's a great putter, uh, who might be worse on approach. That might be the type of player that you're, you're looking to short this week. Uh, Louis Ustazen was someone I was initially looking at who obviously is a great player. He's putted really well so far. Um, but I'm not sure I can pull the trick on shorting Louis, but that would be the type of guy I would be looking to short at this tournament. Um, we yeah. got to build a we got to build a lot. My, my biggest Go fade this week, and, and if I can find a good matchup against him, I don't know why I haven't bet against him yet, but uh, Justin Rose. Justin Rose is doing something weird with his schedule, and I said this two weeks ago when he played L.A. for the first time in a few years, and he's got a decent track record in L.A., but there's a reason he stopped playing there, and I don't know exactly what that reason was. I'm going to try to track down Justin at some point this week and talk to him about his schedule and why he's kind of flipping some stuff around, but he's clearly looking for something. He played LA after missing a few years, made the cut, but finished in 56th place. So if you faded him that week, you probably did pretty well. And he's my biggest fade this week as well. He's uh, he's 20 to one right now. He's number five on the board. You look at him, you say, ah, Justin Rose, he's major champion. He's gold medal winner. He's a great player. And he has a great record. He's got three top five finishes here at PGA national 2010, 12 and i believe in 13 and then he only came back one more time in 2015 and since then he has not been back here and you look at it and you say okay he's played well here so he obviously can do it but to me the bigger signal is he stopped playing here and why did he stop playing here if he played well here well there's something about this place that he certainly doesn't like whether it was the schedule whether it was the course itself i don't know i want to go talk to him and find out that said uh, to me that throws me off the scent of Justin Rose. Uh, the fact that he stopped playing here, and it's one thing to stop playing here after you miss the cut every year and you say, look, I give up. I just don't play that course well. It's another thing when you finish in the top five, three out of four years, and then say, I'm not coming back. Boy, uh, that is a very strong signal that there's something very wrong for you at this golf course. And it's also a strong signal that he comes back to this golf course this year in that he's trying to change something around. He's trying to find something right now and i don't know that he's going to find it this week all right that's interesting woodland the favorite fowler big favorite and he's a coin flip uh what i'm seeing anyways for slowly so that is an interesting short and a, a nice way to think about uh you know betting on golf is, is finding those guys that you're short uh we're doing the opposite we're going to talk about guys that we love you list a lot of names i talked about a lot of guys that i like we're going to make a DraftKings lineup this week a lot of big tournaments over there should be a lot of fun Jason, do you want to pick first or second? I will defer to the second half and let you have the first pick this week, Peter. You deserve it. Okay. I'm going to go right in the middle. I'm going to go with Byung Han An, who I think is uh, going to be a staple for me this week. Uh, the putting has really let him down, but, man, the ball striking is elite, and I think it's a really good course fit for him. I like Byung Han An at 8,800. All right. I got zero problem with that. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to load up on a bunch of, like, sort of mid to upper mid tier guys. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys in this range that we like that are kind of not quite at the top, but certainly, uh, you know, I don't know if we'd call them middle either. And uh, my guys, uh, the guy I'm picking to win, uh, I can't pick yeah. him to win and not pick him in our lineup. So Daniel Berger at a hundred dollars more, 8,900. Uh, welcome to the lineup, Daniel. I love it. I love where we're going. I think we're on the same page. We're going to build a balanced team here relatively. 
I'm going to go with Emiliano Grillo. He fits the same mold. Yeah. Great ball striker. Uh, coming off a good finish at the Puerto Rico after some really bad golf. Farmers, Waste, Genesis missed the cut all three, but had some decent form before that, and this is a, a really good course for him. Uh, I like that he finished well at the Puerto Rico, and, uh, you know, like you said, bad putters uh, could have a nice edge, especially good ball strikers or bad putters, and that definitively is Emiliano Grillo. I mean, if we're going to keep this trend going, might as well keep it really going. I'll go Corey Connors at 8,200 and keep the uh, the trend of ball strikers who uh, aren't necessarily great putters uh, could succeed on this golf course this week. Corey Connors, 8,200. Okay. Now I need to think about where we want to go uh, for you. I don't want to leave you in like no man. No, you can leave You can leave me with almost nothing. I'm debating a couple guys here. All right. I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you the choice here. Bud Colley, or do we want to go super conservative with uh, Jim Furyk? I actually like Furyk this week. Okay. Played well here last year. I, I just think it's a good Furyk course. Oh, it's a great Furyk course. I mean, if you're going to take Furyk, this is the time to take him. So I'm I'm fine with that. We'll, we'll go with Furyk, which leaves 9,000 uh van royan's 9k and then we got to drop off but leaving money is certainly not a uh an issue here i i can tell you i'm gonna leave i'm gonna leave a bunch of money on the table because i'm going down this list and there's not a whole lot of guys i like until i get to a guy at 7600 do you want me to drop down from here because there are some guys that are nice like sung jay horschel well let me Otlin. you can maybe get all right so i i'll tell you i was gonna i was gonna go russell knox I was going to go Russell Knox at 7,600, which leaves 1,400 on the board. It leaves a lot of money out there. Russell Knox has played this course well. It's been a couple of years, but he's got a second and a third place finish here. Another guy who flights his ball under the wind. We're, we're basically, uh, when we pick guys like we've picked with on, with Grio, with Connors, with, with Knox, we're basically hoping the wind is going to blow all week because these guys are ball strikers. and These guys are guys that can, uh, they can flight it pretty low. Yeah. I like the Knox call. Um, Hmm. If we do that and, and go away from Furick, we could go up to someone like Kevin Streelman. We could go all the way up to Ian Poulter. Do you have any love for Ian Poulter this week? I like Furick better than those guys. Okay. Honestly. All right. All right. Well, let's leave a lot of money on the table. This is a very let's unique lineup uh, that we have here, but I think it's a theme that we have going with some really good ball strikers. Daniel Berger, Byung Hun An, Emiliano Grillo, Corey Connors, Russell Knox, and Jim Furick. Uh, you like know, we're going to find out. We're going to find out how many people listen to this pod and tell us because yeah. you're not coming up with this lineup, leaving 1400 on the table on your own, just saying, ah, I don't feel like filling out my salary. I mean, it's one thing to leave a couple hundred on the table, even 1400 on the table. Uh, I'm going to see how many other very, uh, not just similar, very same lineups to ours there are out there. And, uh, and, and those guys I see, uh, shout out to you guys because I know you're listening. Yeah, absolutely. Leave 1400 on the table, these six guys. Thanks for listening. And it's an easy change if you want to upgrade one guy. You got some some money to spend uh, to upgrade. So hopefully that was helpful. Jason, enjoy your time uh, down in Florida. Obviously, you're home, but you got a lot of travel with uh, all these tournaments and, of course, the DFS Open. Hope you play well there. Good luck to all the listeners. Make sure you download and listen on Spotify, and we'll catch you guys next week. We're finished talking.